Hey everybody, this is Kevin Davidovich from Coach Me Plus, and you're listening to episode two of the Coach Me Plus Applied Sports Science Podcast. Make sure you guys go to coachmeplus.com and join our newsletter for the latest on applied sports science, but also make sure to subscribe to uh, this podcast. Um, we'll be doing this about every two weeks. It is Thursday, June 2nd, 2016. We are on location at Leaders in Performance Summit in New York City. Um, you can go to leadersinsport.com to learn more. If you guys have never been to one of these events before, I really recommend it. There's there's nothing more professional when it comes to what these guys do. I don't know how they get the guests that they do, but they had general managers. They had people from NASA. They had some military guys. Um, they blended in different types of coaches. So at one point, there was a Premier League soccer coach up with a chess coach and a fencing coach all explaining their difference uh experiences in uh, youth youth sport. So <clears throat> um, they do it about twice a year now. I think they had one in L.A. last uh, last spring and, of course, the summit in New York City. Uh, they also have one in London, but honestly, it's one of the best events uh, that we go to. So again, leadersinsport.com. It's not a plug for them, but, you know, it's just our honest opinion that I think it's really good. So today on the podcast, we have Chris West, the... Uh, associate head strength coach at the University of Connecticut, and Megan Young, really good friend of ours, um, strength coach at Auburn University. Uh, it's interesting. This is one of those conversations that began in the hallway before we decided to make it a podcast. We were actually sitting around and discussing some some uh, thoughts on uh, applied science and, and you know limitations and things like that, and I said, okay, you know what? We have to stop and actually record this. Um, this is our first group podcast, so please bear with us with uh, any kind of noise issues. I think about halfway point, halfway during the uh, uh, podcast, somebody came in and started setting up glasses for the event that was happening later on, and it basically sounds like Christmas in the background. So uh, bear with the noise issues. I promise we'll try and take care of it, either with better microphones or, or something like that next time. Uh, so without further ado, welcome Chris West and Megan Young to the Coach Me Plus Applied Sports Science Podcast. We are at Leaders in Performance, and uh, we've got Megan Young and Chris. We're just in a conversation in the hallway, and it was a very natural conversation about problems that we're facing with uh, load variables, fatigue variables, and everything else like that. And I yelled out, we need to stop right now, <laughs> and basically uh, start recording this other podcast which uh, we're here for. So pardon the grainy video and probably noisy background, but I think we got about an hour before the next session breaks out. Um, you guys want to do a quick intro? Megan, who you are? What this you is Chris West. <laughs> He's at UConn. He's the director of sports science. Auburn. Magician. <laughs> yeah. So uh, basically we're getting into the problem that you guys are facing with, and like, I mean, like we can totally get natural and relax. Um, I don't want to be interviewee. Uh, the problems that you guys are facing with understanding what we what we saw in the last session, where somebody was tracking different data points, but they um, were using it to explore the questions, right? Like not really being able to actually get into answers without being able to look at it. And uh, Chris, you mentioned that uh, um, what you can deal with and what you can't deal with as far as data. Yeah, I think the the you know, what we were talking about was just the data-driven uh, versus hypothesis-driven. And, and, you know, there's lots of technology out there that gives us the ability to capture data when we don't necessarily have a question of what we're trying to answer uh, versus having a specific question and finding the right technology to answer that question. Yep. 
And so I think where the conversation was going was that, uh, you know, what are the what are the basic qualities? You know, regardless of the current state of technology, that can measure, you know, workload or strain or stress. Uh, and regardless of the current state of technology that can measure, you know, fatigue or recovery, um, you know, how do we, how do we define these categories so that when a new technology comes along, we can say, okay, this is a better way to measure or capture the information that we're trying to get, rather than being reactive to, you know, the market of uh, influx of technology. Yeah, that, that meaningful. Um, stays relatively meaningful. Now we may ask different questions along the way and maybe ask more better questions and uh, uh, questions that are, take us deeper into understanding um, the type of thing we're looking for, but I think that the basic concepts of, of measuring uh, stress and stress response um, are constant. How we measure those things may vary, but, but those basic things are constant. And understanding that not all stresses are equal. You know, understanding that a mechanical stress versus a velocity stress versus an internal stress versus an academic stress, those cause different responses and being able to not predict those responses but predict the stress. But you're, you're kind of you're like jumping ahead to the conclusion. Like if I'm, if I'm exploring something for the first time and I don't know the difference between academic stress and metabolic stress, mm-hmm. um, you know, the... Where, where do you where do you begin? Like, what top level of data capture do you even start with? I'm, I'm you got to ask what the problem is, right? Like, so within sport, business, science, like, unless there is a problem, there is no need to do research. Now we're in the great situation that there's lots of problems, yep. right? Because we work with eighteen to twenty-two year olds, twenty-three, twenty-five, whatever. But it. it lifestyle issues, performance decrements, lack in performance gains, wins, losses, recruiting, talent identification, talent acquisition, keeping talent, uh, academic success, personal success, like all those things are problems that we're just trying to engage with and cause a communication standard for and assess to push them forward and therefore push our product forward. And our product is our student-athlete. And when you drive that student-athlete in a positive direction in all these platforms, then your whole department is driving forward. Yeah. Okay. Um, so with uh, – if you're, if you're starting off and you have to communicate uh, why this is important to other decision-makers, like, you know, right now you've got a coach who's yelling at you saying, um, you know, the kids all look tired today. Or you know who? Why? Why do they look slow? Um, you know how do you how do you turn load and fatigue and tracking of information into a way to communicate to this guy that what's what's basically happening? I think that that's kind of what this whole leaders conference has been about. Uh, you listen to the chief knowledge officer of NASA to you know all these different people from. Tour de France winners and everything else and what you hear is it always goes back to relationships and it always goes back to people and if and I heard a really strategic patience yeah I like that is really tough right because you may know the best thing or think you know the best thing to help this team Mm -hmm. but what you haven't done is laid down the best framework to implement that and the best thing to do is have a relationship with those decision makers and if the decision maker knows you care knows you're confident knows you're qualified and that 
you're going to be consistent with whatever you're doing, yeah. then that relationship will evolve over time. So I think understanding what they re- what their need is, like what does the decision maker think their need is? If they think their team needs to be more fit, help them get their team more fit, yeah. then then show them what, what fitness and fatigue look like compounded together. Sure. Uh, and so you meet them at their area of interest and then push them forward outside of that. What's, what's your experience been like when you're, when you're trying to communicate to the, to the position or to the you know, team coach who's saying, I need to know what's going on? Right. Yeah, you know, again, um, it, it's a great question. I think that that's kind of the fundamental thing that, that we need to start with, identifying what, uh, what we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why are we here? This. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a big thing we talk about performance. Um, and, and, you know, I think... Uh, uh, simple enough to say that uh, if we look at the extreme end of, of uh, you know, malperformance or, or poor performance, and we talk about injury and player availability, you know, I think this is this is a, a fundamental factor that, you know, if we can, number one, you know, the lifeblood of any program is it's the recruiting and the talent that you have. So if you can keep that talent healthy, right, uh, and fit, then you've got a chance to be pretty good. But if, if you're... Um, you know, it's all about stress tolerance. So if, if you can develop a stress tolerance within your athletes, if they can tolerate the stress demands of the sport, yep. um, then, you know, you're able to be successful. And if, if you get to a point where they're acutely or chronically that you're unable to tolerate that stress that's put on them, uh, then you end up with, with injuries, basically. Yep. Or inhibition. Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the big things is, is being able to, uh, you know, talk to the coaches about how do we, number one, minimize the risk of injury. Right uh, through through training, and this is, I think, one of the benefits of monitoring this training load is we can see, you know, okay, well, what's too much? Uh, well, that, that's a little bit of a question right now, right? Yeah, yeah, and you know, you wanted to explore the question. That's kind of what sparked this whole, you know, let's go record this. The confusion, <laughs> the confusion that's like out there with every. I, I just got a, I just got a paper uh, delivered to me from uh, some company trying to sell me some stuff, and it was a research on wearable devices over the next fifteen years or whatever, or ten years, or whatever it was. Anyway, long story short, they had four hundred and twenty-seven different device companies that was in that's that's in our space. That's everybody from Catapult to Whoop to uh, SportsView down to a hundred different device companies. I never even heard of. So, and I do this for a living where I monitor all this stuff and try to watch all this tech. I can't even imagine what it's like for you guys. Like, how do you deal with getting inundated with the next cool wearable, the next cool tech, whatever it might be? And how do you make a decision that says, um, I need to use this to monitor load or fatigue or something new? Yeah, uh, I, I mean, for me, that's, that's, that's what I'm trying to wrap my brain around at this point in time yeah. is, is how do we define uh, what our categories that we want to measure and that we want to track. You know, certainly stress is one of them. Well, what are we going to use to monitor that stress or that training load? And, well, right now we're going to use what we have. We have GPS. We have heart rate. We've got the acceleration piece. Uh, what are we going to do to, to monitor that uh, recovery piece or that fatigue piece? Um, and, you know, I think that uh, uh, you can look at, um, you know, some of the things we talked about, the WHOOP devices and and the fatigue science, and you know, you can look at sleep recovery, but uh, we're making an assumption with that sleep recovery that that has an effect on performance rather than measuring the performance. Yeah. So you know, we've, we've, when we've talked about this, we've used vertical jump yep. as kind of a, a you know standard to say, okay, well, 
how is your vertical jump changed with your training loads over the force of the to try to find a threshold where we see, okay, your vertical jump goes down because you've done too much, or potentially your vertical jump goes down because you haven't done enough and you've lost fitness. So I think it's trying to find that bandwidth to say what is, because I don't think that there is an ideal singular amount, right? Okay. I don't think that you can put it on a single number. Is that I, but I think there is a range of, of what you can measure and, and, and do from that standpoint. So, you know, again, looking at, at the, the technologies that are out there, um, look, one of the new ones, the Nordboard, right? Yeah, yeah. Fascinates it's me. One, it's one of my favorite new tests, yeah. by the way. <laughs> I mean, really cool. But taking that into consideration of what we're talking about, where does that fit in this paradigm? Is this a readiness tool that tells us an athlete's uh, state of fatigue? Uh, potentially a return to play kind of tool like I've I've seen people use it in that mindset yeah. or fatigue tool like is the guy burned out like um, I you know they, they, they had two different use cases for the Nord board one was like an ISO um, ISO hold and the other one is the Nordic movement which I forget the name from um, and if your athlete is injured, then the ISO, uh, the ISO strength should be your return to play indicator before you actually move into the next phase of your return to play protocol. And it's a great unit for one use case, but, um, you know, how does that tie into other things that you're doing? You know, is that the thing that you're going to test? Or like you said, is it going to be vertical? Right. And I think the other thing, when we talk about monitoring and we talk about all this stuff is there are some questions brought up, like who owns that data? Yeah. Is that the athlete's data? Is that the school's data? Is it the broadcasting rights data? Yeah. You know, and then what are we actually doing with that data? Are we just collecting it? Are we giving all this data to that athlete? And then... In the college, it always the main talks in NCAAs and among universities is this whole uh, student athlete wellness. Yep. Like, what are we doing with these kids in their lives? Like, yeah. are they practicing too much? Are we putting too much demand on them? Are we, you know, following all these parameters? And uh, do we have a correct structure in place? Is the system right? And hopefully, what we're trying to answer and hypothesize is: Can we help increase wellness? Yeah. You know, an overall experience so that when they leave their university setting and whether it's to go pro or go into business or take my job, then <laughs> they've had an experience and such that's been positive, but we've also enabled them with these lifestyle parameters so that they can go out and be productive citizens. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of it from the athlete educational standpoint is bringing awareness to, to uh, the process, bringing awareness to the process of, of training and recovery and the importance of both uh, for them. Uh, you know, some of the devices like, uh, for example, the Whoop giving you a readiness score uh, based on your sleep, uh, you know, your depth of sleep and all the different parameters they use. But the reality is, how are we going to control that as a, as a coach? Well, I, if I go, uh, if I go, our, hey, coach, here's my, here's my HRV. I uh, can't really see it. 9.6? Yeah, which was great yesterday, but um, if you look at, you look at my scores the past couple of days, I did a lot of yard work, and it was like in the sixes and sevens, and so it was terrible. And then I wake up this morning, and it's 9.6. Now, as a layman, I'm like, uh, can, I, can I go run 100 miles? Is that what it's I think like HRV and all these readiness standpoints, Omega Wave, they, they're all fantastic tools, right? Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, we're not the ultimate decision maker. We, it is our job to communicate effectively based off of what we may be 
have more experience in or experts in or whatever to the decision makers, give them the information and understand that it's multifactorial. Like it's HRV is one thing, right? And it shows you something. Can you tell me exactly what causes an HRV? And that's, that's where you start getting down to the mysticism of the device company. Because, um, or cat- just the, catapult- the measure in general. Well, right, but Catapult has player load, dollar and so on. Yep. Or has uh, a player load. Um, and, you know, we don't really know what those numbers mean. We just know that it's, we trust in the company to tell us that they've developed these algorithms that give us a score. The recovery score from Whoop or from Omega Wave, you know, it's broken down into a, a 0 to 10 scale or 8 scale. Or um, we're trusting that that company has done the research to back the value, you know, the, the, the variable that they're providing us. So, um, my question for you guys is how much do you look at that with, you know, complete trust or do you use some skepticism? I think it's smart to always be skeptical. It, like, they're the... There was a presenter today, and there's object-oriented approaches in data, right, yeah, and yeah. systems, and he had this disoriented object, and I thought that was really <laughs> an interesting way to say that because there's data, which is these devices, yeah. right, but then this other side, there's the experience, and that is people, and what we're trying to do with this data and these people is decrease speculation yeah. and have increased knowledge, so we may not know what's going to happen on a rainy day on a soccer field when we're playing a school that we always play, yeah. and then, boom, there's this one unconfounding variable that we haven't accounted for. Yeah. So I, I don't think the answer is to try and control all the uncontrollables and measure everything. I think the answer is going to be it, when you look at the way hardware and software kind of goes and evolves, it's, it, it's your iPod and your cell phone merged and became the iPhone. Well, yeah. in 10 years, hopefully some of these metrics and things that we're measuring become one thing. And now we're measuring less things. And that increases our wellness. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that uh, uh, how you deal with, with one specific uh, data point, you know, say we've got a, a training load that's extremely high. Or we have a heart rate variability score that's too low. Or, or any one of these things. I think in and of themselves, uh, it's 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 a it's potentially a warning sign. But I think that, that at times, if we have okay, we have a, a high heart rate load, we've got a high velocity load, we've got a low HRV score. When when these things start painting the same picture, yeah, uh, that potentially gives us more information. But you know, again, this kind of begs the question of, of um, you know selecting the right technology to answer the right question. Yeah. So you know, looking at that that training stress and looking at that uh, recoverability of that response to that training stress. Uh, how many of these things, like going back to the Nordboard example, is this potentially, this is not a primary um, function. Yeah. Primary function. Maybe it's a secondary function. And and I use the analogy, and I think we talked about this the other day, of going through the airport, yeah. the airport security, yeah. where, you know, the first thing you do when you go through airport security is you go through and you put your hands up and they scan you. Now, if something shows up on there, they take you aside, and they wand you down. Now, if they can't figure it out with the wand, then they do your hands, or they take you yeah, in the back yeah, room. But, yeah. you know, that concept for what we're trying to look at with a readiness score or with a load score, we may see a readiness score that, and, and let's say it's a vertical jump. So we take them through, we do the vertical jump. It's very simple. We see that vertical jump is down. Yep. Well, if it's not down, great. Go on and go do your thing. But if it's down, now we can take those individuals and maybe investigate a little bit further. Maybe we do a Nordboard at that point. 
maybe we do a, a heart rate variability at that point. You know, uh, but but maybe there are secondary and tertiary tests to lead us in a better direction. But in general, for the most part, one of the big problems with a lot of this technology is, is the time investment that it takes to capture this information. Oh sure. So if we're going to Nordboard everybody, mm -hmm. right, and it takes you two to three minutes, if you're going to get a heart rate variability on everybody and they don't have something to take home with them, it's going to take you five minutes for yeah. a team of thirty guys. This starts becoming a huge investment of time that we just don't have. And that goes back to the student athlete too. And if you do all of these things with a freshman all the time, what have you taught them, right? right? And this becomes their norm. Like, I think that you can start off with very simple things, like you're saying. These are our primary things that we will always do, and we can hang our hat on, research-wise. And over time, we know acutely we may get a view of something, but chronically, if we see that same picture happening, that has more statistical power to us. So we feel more confident in that decision based off that data. But when we go into recovery layers and recovery modalities and all these technologies, maybe we add them based on educational components and on secondary and tertiary needs. So, you know, these are the primary functions. This athlete has shown success and does all these things that we ask of them, hold them accountable for it. Yeah. Uh, and then that's what the Minnesota Vikings GM said when he interviewed think 47 of the 53 players yeah. the number one thing they wanted in a head coach was someone to hold them accountable on and off the field so i think that that can be said across the board that we should want athletes that want to be held accountable and when you do that and they earn something there's something to be said for earning that we remember when uh, i think it was uh, eric Corum had his earn earn the next level of monitoring yeah uh, uh, I, was, I was not but that, that's okay. exactly what i mean have you seen that no uh, so he so he presented this he presented this case and he goes you know the first level of monitoring was was coach me plus like it was daily wellness questionnaires if you've proven that you can do that then you get to the next level of monitoring which was um i think it was like uh maybe a sleep monitor no the sleep monitor was like the last step like but basically heart rate like, or something yeah heart rate and then and then it was gps and then it was a sleep monitor so it was like you were leveling up yeah exactly so you prove that you can do it and it's like you have to earn the sleep monitor you have to earn mm. the GPM. maybe we have to educate this athlete in three different ways that we didn't want to because their vertical jump is going down but we finally get to the point that this is the thing they connect with. This is the thing they understand. It's also like finding the metric that matters to a head coach. If you think about, um, let's, we're talking about training stress balance and session RP variable, and you need a time series to look at it against. Session RPE, you need a load series and a time series, like a you know a session time. So, does my session time come from you know me staying there with a stopwatch? Does it come from me asking the athlete how long did you work out? Did it come from my wearable device? Did it come from the time on ice? Like, where does that information come from? And it really doesn't matter because it's just simply a variable, right? Like that's what we're as long as it's constant. Well, I we run into that a lot where people are like, well, my in season is this, my off season is this. The sports scientist in me says Z-score, you know, <laughs> yeah. the, um, I think if you really want valid decisions and you can hang your hat on those decisions, then first you have to start off with normalization of data collection. Yep. And what are you, what is your process? So it does need to be the same. And we're not saying the session has to have the same duration or we expect the same load, but the way you get the data should be the same. And just like the way I always put the weight on the bar is going to be the same I, the way I always put the weight on the bar, the way I should put on my device before practice and take it off after practice should always be the same, barring natural disaster. 
but let's let's uh, play devil's advocate. I went out and I spent a lot of money on my Omega Wave units, yep. and um, uh, I get my budget whacked, and I have to decide between heart rate variability and nutrition. And we're not going to cut the food, so we're going to keep the food budget. And so I tell everybody to go get you know an app, and we're going to do it that way. Yeah, it's all my Omega Wave data now, or do I renormalize it for my new? Uh, that's a great question, Chris. I'll let you pack it first. Oh, uh, you know, if you look at the difference between, say, a catapult device uh, or the Polar Team Pro or, you know, a stat sports device, they're all capturing speed, distance, acceleration parameters. Yep. Right. So we should be able to across these things to express and, and keep consistent uh, from one device to another. Now, if the, if the devices are, are not um, accurate compared to each other, then that potentially creates a problem. Right. Uh, but they should paint the same picture. Yeah, but, but they should paint the same picture. Now, with the, with the heart rate variability piece, how would you, if you can't do heart rate variability and so you do... Uh, uh, you know, you do the app and you're using a different yeah. algorithm and a different method, you don't necessarily have that raw data of speed, distance, acceleration to be able to go and manipulate to come up with your answer. Sure. And I think this is, a, this is a problem in the field in, in the fact that, and maybe it's, it's, a, uh, it's a problem for a, a good financial reason, is that, <laughs> you know, look, if you can only get this number from this unit, then your incentive to change units may be, you know, but it's, it, I think the technology is never going to. It's never well. I think that the technology is never going to stop. Right? It's it's going to keep evolving. It's going to keep changing. How do you guys deal with that? You know, that's. I mean, I think like he's saying, the variable should stay the same. If the tech gets better, great. Right? But we can't sit here and say we shouldn't measure things because we know that the technology is going to get better. So it's like waiting. I'm not going to have a phone because I know the new iPhone is coming out. You still need a phone, yeah, right? But, so where you run into seeking like seeking your contacts when you go from like an old device to a new device, and, and it sucks, but it, it can has be to done. Sync Facebook, and now it's got Instagram, and now it's got to sync, you know, Snapchat. And you just run into like all these well, new think, nightmares. You know, let's say we use a device for five years, and let's say the next wave of technology and software and hardware upgrades, whatever. The trends that we've seen should be able to carry over to whatever new device is because they're just painting pictures of these categories We, if we're using the raw data yeah. instead of relying on algorithms. Yeah. And I think that's the conversation we're having is maybe you should know what your own raw data is trying to paint for you instead of just relying on algorithms. Well, I think we've dealt with that, right? Like we're taking... Uh, one thing that we worked on with you was actually taking the information and then coming up with your own load score based on right. acceleration zones and all this other stuff, right? Yeah. Right, which which makes things complicated. And I think this is this is the genesis of this whole conversation is is that uh, there are so many different ways to that people measure, um, you know, load. Uh, that people measure recovery, whether it's heart rate variability. I mean, all these different methods that I think that uh, it becomes a very confusing picture. For people that are starting to get interested in using technology, because again, it's, it becomes about the device, not the the question, uh, not the question. You know, um, so you know, how do you get around that? That's that's a really good question, and and I don't know if it's something that uh, you know potentially uh, trying to create a Z score and, and normalizing data can give you 
now when you change devices, it's going to take you, you know, another month to capture enough data points to get that. Yeah. Paint the other picture. Know, to paint that picture. But potentially, that Z-score should be relatively comparable to what they've and done. And maybe that's what you do the research on, right? Maybe yeah. you look at the training load based on multiple devices and what is the percent difference across these devices and why. And then if those devices upgrade again, it's just collecting historical data and saying, we see this, right? Um, I think that's when people said, oh, you know, if you play soccer and you're a female, you're going to tear an ACL, yeah. right? Well, yeah. now if you play sport, you're going to get hurt, right? <laughs> Unless you monitor things. Good job, guys. Yeah, we had but to, we had to look back. GM say no, no human should be playing football. Like, that, that came out, I was just like, oh. I'll just bypass that. You know, I'll leave that. I mean, go Auburn football, you know. Uh, but I think I think when you look at all these things, like Chris and I are saying, is what are the metrics that are important to you, and what are you actually trying to measure, and what conclusion are you trying to draw? If you're trying to draw a conclusion of thresholds, so for not doing too much and least effective dose, so that you can do just enough. Okay, cool. Yeah. And base it on physical parameters of either mechanical or metabolic load or whatever that may be, and then take into this aspect that we haven't even talked about of psychology. That those things should be able to be monitored no matter what the device is. Um, and maybe it doesn't matter necessarily, statistically speaking, how much it changes from device to device. Okay. It just monitors that you've done it and that you recognize the change. We had... Um we had uh, the NHL Combine had changed all of their testing parameters in the last two years. They went from uh, doing it inside a facility that was not really like set up for it. It was like basically like the hotel lobby kind of set. Up. They had five ten five drills on the carpet, and they moved over to a uh, uh, wood floor. They had they went from bench press that was at uh, a specific weight to a percentage of the athlete's body weight. They went to watt bikes instead of the previous bikes. And we had a lot of teams ask us, um, hey, can we compare last year's data to this year's data? Well, what do you want to compare? Because it's not the same testing. You could still rank people. Like, they're still doing an acceleration test, right? So you could still rank people based on how they did in the acceleration test. The test didn't matter, though. Sure. Right? I still finished first, right? And what was his acceleration speed? You could still know that information and then run it across historical data and say, he still is in the top 10% across the past 15 years, regardless of what the test was. Hmm. So I think you could do something like that. But, yeah, you need to state that the test was different. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting um, because, again, some of the some of the tests historically are, are tests that are 5105. And, and what are we looking for? We're looking for... And ability's athlete to de- you know, uh, uh, an athlete's ability to decelerate and accelerate, right? And we're using the five ten five as a uh, as a test to determine that when we can actually now measure their ability to accelerate and decelerate, right? You know, so so the um, you know in some ways the the tests have, have become been a device. There. Yeah, it's uh, uh, that I wonder if if you know look. So it doesn't matter if we're able to measure their acceleration and deceleration. It doesn't matter if they're doing a five ten five or a playing soccer, you know, whatever it is, you yeah. know, an L drill or, or you know, let's call it whatever. But uh, um, but at the same time, then if you talk about just environmental conditions, doing it on a uh, you know carpet versus a gym floor, there's maybe some issues with that. And I mean, performance and testing is going to keep evolving, right? Like using force plates 
along with a vertical jump versus just a vertical jump. And then adding 3D motion analysis. We're always going to be taking in more to capture more, to look at more things at one time. It's kind of like NASA. When they send up that uh, satellite or whatever to Saturn, there was 19 projects on there in one mission. Yeah. So maybe there's 19 projects within our one jump that we're looking at. So we just need to understand that, though. Well, it was interesting with the NHL because they moved from the vertical jump hitting the <coughs> vertex, the vertex versus, uh, to a force plate. And they used the force plate's predicted uh, jump height for... Um, and the jumps went down tremendously? You know, I don't... I'd have to take a look at it. Mm. And actually, I'd take a look at data. But the interesting part was that they, like you're saying, 19 projects with one test, like with, with a jump on a force plate, you could do all kinds of there's a lot of data within that, yeah. Right, right. But all they wanted to do for this first step was, like, transition from jumping at a stick to, um, you know, actually doing it on a force plate. And maybe later on we'll actually be able to get uh, reinforced development or, you know, other variables off of that so you can actually do some other types of testing. But I think it was, like, that first baby step into the next uh, transition. And some coaches loved it and some coaches just hated it. You know, it's... Um, you know, we're changing the methods. We're changing the ways that we're, we're tracking it, and uh, you know, it's going it's to screw up all of my historic information. Well, blah, blah, if people blah. aren't part of innovation, then why do they have that insecurity? So, if that insecurity is because innovation takes away from their own job security, that's one thing, right? But if innovation is not happening, like a lot of the people are talking here, how are we actually getting better, and what are we actually trying to get better at? Sure, you know, so. Yeah, I think this kind of brings us around to the fundamental concept that we started talking about was the what is it that we are looking to measure, not how are we going to measure. Um, and, you know, I certainly see some problems with, uh, look, if, if uh, we had to change our, our iPhones every month uh, because technology was upgrading that fast, and I'm sure that it does, but they don't release an iPhone every month. They'll wait and release it over a period of time. Um but there's still some consistency. So, you know, again, getting back to the, the you know, how do we go from uh, a vertical jump on a vertex to a force plate, and how do we make that comparison um, it is really an interesting question because I can certainly respect the fact that, that you're all of a sudden losing all your historical data, and now you're starting over. And, and you know, we're going to do that for a period of time until the next thing comes along. And then we lose all that historical data. So, you know, again, I think it comes down to what is the fundamental piece that we're measuring. If, if we're looking at power output and we do it through a vertex or we do it through a jump force plate or we do it through but, – but power output would be the potentially the, the least common denominator, the basic fundamental measure, mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily jump height. Sure. Right? Yeah. Because my guess is, is that having done vertex in the past historically yeah. or team – and moving to force plates, yep. and then going to a just jump mat, you know, I, I, I don't know what's good anymore. You, you know what I mean? I mean so, so I respect that, the fact that you can look at, you know, the the, the, the thing of, of testing, you know, look at the 40-yard dash. If somebody runs a 4-5, we can all say that's a pretty good number. Well, look at the 40-yard dash and say, you know, they used to run it on dirt, then they ran it on, you know, soft turf, and then they got shoes, and then they got, now you got Usain Bolt wearing, like, the techiest of shoes on, you know, the fastest of tracks. And they used to use stopwatches, and now they have a timing system and all yeah. these other things. Yeah. yeah. So the technology is going to evolve, and I guess we just got to 
and I think the technology is trying to reduce human error too, yeah, yeah. right? Like stopwatch versus timing system. Sure. But then within technology, how do we get rid of user error as well? Like within wearing a device and, oh, I didn't clip it all the way on or yeah. I didn't turn it on before I walked inside and back outside. Oh, we're we're going to have user error with, with this. Like we're here podcasting and, and the microphone in the background. Like I don't even know if it's capturing the right way. Yeah. So <laughs> we're going to get to the end of this and be like, oh, that was great. It didn't really do anything. But I think the retrospective question of like losing data and someone brought it up in one of the talks, somebody smarter than me, and they were saying – we didn't know to look at this until we tracked it for a long time and it popped out that it mattered. <laughs> so what was, what was the, I don't remember what it was, but no. it was, it was in business strategy, not in athletics. Oh, okay. So, um, but that happens, right? Like until you look at something over a long time, maybe that wasn't initially part of the question we were asking, but it was a byproduct that we happened to capture at the same time. And then you have that aha moment, 18 months down the road and you go, Oh wait, that mattered. Well, at least you captured that data so now that you can have thresholds or parameters based upon it or know to look at that more intently. Sure. And that, that's the point we're at with this technology is looking at so many things and waiting for the right one to pop out, right? But there is no magical algorithm to get everything. Like even in crowdsourcing, they're looking yeah. at all these things and they're saying with Apple, they're producing, the, what it, what was the number? Like 470,000 apps a day or yeah. a minute or an hour or something ridiculous. There's no way that you could sit here and say, oh, I measure everything. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like So uh, being human with that and, and discussing what the limitations are to your decision makers and just making them aware, and NASA has a good way of doing that, is a mishap. Is it something that went wrong or something that we didn't collect, that, but it did not change the performance outcome? Is it a mistake? Did it change the performance outcome? And then is it a failure? Did we repeatedly make the same mistake? Interesting. I think, I, I mean, the amount of pressure, though, that comes down on you guys to provide the value for the cost that you guys are incurring when you're looking at this stuff. So somebody says, hey, there's some new tech. I want to do some testing with it. Um, now, all of a sudden, you guys are held to the fire to actually produce results. Um, you know, how do you guys handle the transition from, I just want to test this stuff for a year or two before we actually, you know, use it, whereas a coach is saying, no, I want results now. I think it depends a lot upon your administrators and your support structure and your head coach's support. Like, do they, are they getting this device because they want the answer now or because they know this device is important to have? Um, or is it getting it so that we have it to say that we have it for recruiting? Like those are all very well, real things. Too, yeah. um, and so then within that, like a point was brought up, a NASA short-term project is five years. Well, that student athlete has graduated and now is in grad school. <laughs> and so our time infrastructure is a lot shorter for sure. And then you look at it, turnover within athletics at the college level. So I don't really know how to answer that question and say, yep, everything's fine, or no, don't do it because you don't know how long you're going to be somewhere, you know? Yeah, I have a real, uh, not a real problem, but I do I do have a problem with, with this concept. And, and, you know, let's just take it down to a, a financial investment standpoint because, you know, look, we're going to make a, an investment in technology. Uh, we do want to see relatively immediate returns on it. We don't want to, you know, go on a, and, and you know what the other thing is, is a lot of the companies are going to lease programs now. 
right, rather than outright purchasing. So, so that if their hardware upgrades, you get the upgrades. Oh, yeah. Cool. But at the same time, on a lease program, what you're doing is because you're taking that lease over, let's call it three years. Well, what do the what do the companies tell you? Well, it's going to take you at least a year or two of data capture to actually get any meaningful. So, actually, in this in this investment that you're making over a three year lease, you're not getting any return on it until the third year. You're not getting any. So. I have a little bit of problem with the fact that, that people say, well, you just have to capture the data and just wait and it's eventually... It's paying for your car for two years and then getting it in the third year. Yeah. Like, that doesn't, <laughs> doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Well, yeah. I mean, even as a software you know, sales guy, you know, we, we open up our platform and we tell people, like, yeah, you can explore the data and everything else like that. And the reality is, like, you're not going to get to the answers any faster. It's still going to take you the same amount of time. Um, the only rabbits I pull out of my hat are like, well, you can get immediate value from like daily weigh-ins and questions. Like, you can get immediate value the first day. There's a bunch of things you can do in daily testing. There's a bunch of stuff in about seven to ten days that you can get value out of, like uh, looking at acute chronic weight loss. Uh, and then you know you just build like this story of how long does it take before I actually get value out of it. So we always try to push the immediate value along with the long-term value. Um, and it's really hard to do because people, you know, I want everything right now and I want to be able to look at, you know, regression analysis of these data points and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you don't have enough data yet. Well, I think one thing too is like, okay, so one thing I've personally experienced is the number of things you do consistently every day. And my number went from like doing 200 consistent things a day to like zero. And you don't realize that until it's at zero. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I did so many things every day. Like, I brushed my teeth. I took a shower. I, you know, wrote something down. I did all these things. I made coffee. I got in my car. I drove. And then you realize, like, man, that's a lot. And so that can be kind of overwhelming. And the same thing happens, like, in this process, right? How do I build this system? Well, so you choose that thing to start with and make it simple, like asking people how they feel or RPE. And then you do that consistently, and then you add this layered approach. And it's yeah. kind of like the what you were talking about with Eric and adding things they've earned. But yeah. And explaining to people the limitations of the things you're adding and why you're waiting. And so kind of that strategic patience that is yeah. somewhat dumbing to us. Like, we hate to wait because <laughs> we want to just do all these things and capture all of this information. But sometimes what best serves the institution and has the best return on investment are the things that you can do right now for free and then add the complexities on top of that to get the bigger picture. I think one of the one of the you know potential ways that we can take some of this new technology and, and I'll just use it from a training load standpoint is that uh, you know you're gonna get different algorithms that give you different outputs and different arbitrary units. Sure. So you know if you look at uh, say a catapult player load of a thousand right and a and a polar training load of uh, 350, um, those don't have much meaning without context. And and so I think one of the things that that you can do, at least with the the training load piece, is, uh, for example, put it into a match equivalent, you know, saying that that an average soccer match is a thousand points, you know, an average, uh, you know, match from a heart rate standpoint is 350 points. So now we're able to take that information and say, okay, well, Versus that thousand point level, you know, I'll give you the, the quick example. We we were doing a heart rate with, with Polar years ago, ten years ago, with this old team system, 
And, uh, you know, we had some of our players get a training load of 2,700 points in four days. Now, that doesn't really mean anything until you put into context that a match is 350 points. So we've done the equivalent of playing seven matches in four days of preseason. Wow. So that provides some context to say that, okay, 2,700, you know, what does that number mean? Well, we have to wait a couple years to find out. Well, if we look at that match equivalent level, now we put it next to something that's comparable. You know, that, you can that we do could that say, with all the other metrics as yeah. well. So Now, the one thing that's questionable, though, I'm, I'm wondering about, and I'm, I'm interested to hear if you guys have any feedback on this one, though, is from a training load standpoint, I think we can put it, put like a match equivalent to compare it to something. But from a recovery standpoint, if we're looking at a heart rate variability versus a sleep score versus a you know, resting heart rate versus how do we put that into context? What do we compare that to? Uh, I think that becomes an interesting thing because, like we're saying, if we look at that training load, that's just giving us that load number. But within that, there is that volume load. There is that mechanical load or me metabolic load that helps us kind of see, like, is this going to be soreness? Is this going to be tired? Is this going to be, you know... Okay, and then from that, does that give you insight into which recovery mode matters more and getting a match equivalent? So, like, if we know that volume load is extremely high and we can predict some hamstring soreness, then we see no hamstring soreness the next day in a questionnaire, then we've done okay. Whereas if it, we're worried about central nervous system, fatigue and response, parasympathetic, sympathetic shift, maybe it's an omega wave response we care about more and determining that based on match equivalence of the percentages or acute chronic over time with those things. Yeah. Then, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if there's, like, people screaming at their, whatever the unit they're listening on right now. I got this thing. It's great. <laughs> I'll do, like, a feedback thing so we can actually capture all that. Uh, we got about uh, a few minutes left here. So, um, you have, uh, throw out a hypothetical, you have no budget. It's hypothetical for everybody, or reality for everybody. Um, you have no budget. You have, uh, like, a few things that you can get down to. You have, like, five minutes with each athlete, both pre or post. What would you track? What would you do on a daily basis? Yeah, uh, well, you know, I mean, answer that jumps that jumps to the forefront of my mind, and I don't know if it's a, it's a, definitely my strong opinion, but I think that probably the, the context of, of uh, you know what I understand is the opinion out there would be would be an RPE scale, would be um, you know asking the athlete <laughs> what is your soreness level, what is your fatigue level, you know, directly asking. I think sometimes that that, that that's also what this uh, this data. Uh, can help us do. Look, if I see somebody with a with a decreased vertical jump score, if I see somebody with a, uh, you know, if we're doing the Nord board and I see an asymmetry in there, um, do I act on that right away? Or do I go and I talk to them and say, hey, how you doing? Yep. You know, if I see somebody with a high training load score, does that mean they're tired? Not necessarily. I may go talk to them and they may say, no, I'm doing great. Okay, well, we're going to watch it. So, you know, um, you know, back to uh, uh, what technology you know, <laughs> would you use? I think the basic thing is, is, is you know what, what do, what do we want to know, right? How did you sleep? How do you feel? Let's ask them, yeah. right? That's free, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and so if we ask them now, there are other things that we can do to, to measure that and potentially to uh, uh, predict. Like if we say that, hey, this guy's really sore, well, why is he sore? Now, if we had the technology to go back and say, well, gee, this guy did uh, uh, 1,500 meters of high-intensity distance yesterday. Now, I know that that's 
he's going to be sore from that. His now this becomes a little bit more of a predictive analysis to say that, okay, at least we know 1500 is too high, <laughs> right? Uh, so that we can go from there. But I think, you know, I think the, you know, what we're trying to get at with all this stuff is, is to find out the state of readiness, the state of fitness, the state of fatigue of our athletes. And the most simple way to do that is to ask them. So you've got you've got five minutes, and uh, you can't use questionnaire because Chris took it from you. Sure, I think um, <laughs> I would if I want to remove even the student athlete from the equation is just observing in the practices and helping build that exercise practice drill library for our coaches, and helping understand what their practices are like in a match equivalent. Like this is hard. How hard is this drill? And that's where you could ask the, ask the athlete or the yeah. coach even. Yeah. And then just writing out some simple things. How big was the size of the field? Was there a change of direction? Was it program? Was it reactive? What was the speed level like? Were they walking, jogging, sprinting? Coming up with your own algorithm if you want and say a game is a 10 and this was a 9 and yep. how long they did it. So now you have a drill intensity. And then like building that. that out for your coaches. That's like that where I started. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you basically end up with a library of different types of practices, so you can and volumes work and with intensities. The coach and say, it's like being a strength coach. Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, <clears throat> so we've got, uh, I don't know, so we got like five minutes here. Um, anything, anything good that came out of the sessions that you saw today? Uh, yeah, boy, um, a lot. Uh, just. You know what I always love about uh, about leaders is uh, you know, listening to people that, that are outside of the sport industry in particular. You know, I think that that we tend to feel um, at least sometimes I, I you know sit in my office and uh, you know behind my computer and I'm I'm, I'm trying to come up with a, a way to look at something um, that I feel is unique to to sport performance. When the reality is is that. Uh, Statistics and, and algorithms and, and predictive analysis have been done for for years in other industries. So it's yeah. kind of cool to hear some of these other people come out and say, "Hey, you know what? Performance is, you know, there, there's a similarity between performance, whether you're talking about industry or, uh, you know, NASA or or athletics. There there are some fundamental common denominators. And I think that that in the world of of all of the new innovation, the technology. I think that that is what I'm trying to come up with is what are those common denominators rather than reacting to a new technology? Well, where does this technology fit in the structure, yep. in the framework of things? Sure. What was your, uh, what was your takeaway so far today? Um, I would just say that it all goes back to the driving force. It's not technology, it's people. Yep. And the innovation comes from people. So when you make your investment in people, then you're probably going to always win. And probably going to always, but always going to win. Yep. Because that is an investment with a return of nothing else. It increases a network, becomes a relationship, and you, you don't know if that's going to lead to a potential job for you or you potentially giving that person a job down the road because they end up being a resource that you must have. Sure. Um, and it's really cool to hear NASA and some of these other places that are taking people that maybe retire and putting them with the newest interns. Yeah. It's kind of a mentorship thing. I and that. I think that it's not to force an education upon them. It's to be a resource to them and with our, this new generation and how they learn and how they ask questions and their opinions going to be heard. I think that doing so puts you ahead of the curve instead of saying do it the way the system has always been done so yeah. it's interesting cool. um, 
Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's kind of funny when you mentioned coming across different businesses. This guy from Deloitte was up there, mm-hmm. and towards the end of the, the session, he said, you know, we've got this um, we've got this thing where we track the amount of travel a guy does, how many, how many nights he spends in a hotel, and... Um, you know, I think there was like one other one other number, and he goes, "If we get three of those flagged, then we make the guy stay home." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "It's something so simple, but or we, you know, we, we tell his boss he needs to check him out or something." Like that. And they talked about this idea of the corporate athlete, right? Yeah. yeah. And it, we we measure all this wellness and monitoring. Do, I mean, do you do it? Do you answer your daily questionnaire, Chris? Because you might need to, you know, and taking care of, and then even the general manager for the Hawks said it best with. If you take care of the people those people care about, yeah. then those people stay. Um, and and they that's pay them like, early, pay them a lot. Pay them early um, and make them feel value, make yeah. them understand their value and their limitations, and then take care of them and the other factors. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Cool. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. This was uh, Chris West from... UConn and Megan Young from Auburn. Thank you guys. No problem. I'm hoping that uh, people will forgive us for the background noise and everything else like that, but uh, I'll do all the outro stuff afterwards and you know, to bore you with uh, all the announcements and everything else. But uh, thank you guys for both good houses. Very awesome. Awesome. Enjoyed it. Yeah. We'll, have to, uh, we'll definitely have to do it again. All right. Thanks, guys. So that's a wrap, folks. I'd like to thank Chris West uh, from uh, University of Connecticut and Megan Young uh, from Auburn University for being on the podcast. Everybody, remember to go to CoachMePlus.com to uh, subscribe to your Applied Sports Science newsletter and, of course, subscribe to the podcast in whatever app that it is that you're using. Uh, soon we'll also be adding comments and other things to the podcast. We'd like to get your feedback on things as we're, as we're discussing. If you notice that we got to the end of the conversation and there's some open questions as to, you know, what, what we could be doing to track um, the different monitoring things that we're discussing. So uh, in the meantime, email me, kevin at coachmeplus.com, if you have any comments or anything else like that so that we can um, help improve uh, the experience, but also to uh, continue the conversation because that's what this is all about. This is about making sure that uh, you know we're we're part of um, you know the experience and the conversation and what's going on in the world of applied sports science. Uh, thanks again, and see you guys in two weeks.